You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening and welcome to the October 19th edition of Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC. The time is 7 o'clock. I'm your host, John Boyer. On tonight's program, we have a lot on the way for you, but we begin with the midterm elections. Lost in the attention over the U.S. Senate and House races are some of the other contests that still affect you. One such race is that for the 16th District of the North Carolina Senate, which includes Cary, West Raleigh, and all of NC State. I could tell you about the candidates, or I could let them speak for themselves. Over the course of the past week, I recorded individual interviews with each of the three candidates, Republican Michael Beasley, Democrat Josh Stein, and Libertarian Stephanie Watson. Eye on the Triangle's VIP. Talking to people that matter. Joined now by Josh Stein, the incumbent in the 16th District race for the North Carolina Senate. You're the incumbent, and you belong to the Democratic Party. So let's just begin with a personal introduction. Tell the listeners a little about yourself. Sure, John. First, thank you for doing this. This is a great public service. NC State is in the heart of Senate District 16 and one of the most important institutions in the district, in the city, and in, in the county. And so um, whoever represents this district has to really care about state and, and what is important to it. So thank you for doing this for your listeners. I, I grew up in, I, I dare say, at Chapel Hill. Uh, I didn't go to UNC, but I, I grew up in Chapel Hill, went through high school there. And then I went, to, went away to college, to Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire. Uh, and between college and law school, I taught, Afri- taught high school in Africa for a couple of years. And then came home and I went to law school and uh, school of public policy, both up at Harvard, and moved finally home back to North Carolina in 1995, where I settled in Raleigh and have been very happy um, I'm married. My wife, Ann, and I have three young kids, all of whom are in the Wake County Public Schools. And um, for the eight years before I got sworn in, I headed the Consumer Protection Division at the North Carolina Attorney General's Office. I was the Deputy Attorney General in charge of Consumer Protection, and that, that was a great job. I took on identity thieves, scam artists, predatory lenders, payday lenders, trying to make sure everybody got a fair shake from corporations and that um, – Businesses that are doing things the right way weren't put at a competitive disadvantage by other companies that wanted to cut corners. Uh, And then I got elected to this seat. Um, This is my first term, so I was elected in 2008 and now am an adjunct law faculty member at Campbell Law School in addition to serving in the state senate. So as your biography indicates, you're a man of many accomplishments. But what brought you back to North Carolina and what do you see as the strengths of this state and of your district? Well, when one grows up in North Carolina, the pull to return is incredibly strong. I, I, my whole family is here. Everybody um, left, but we all came back. Um, my parents are still on Chapel Hill. My sister lives here in Raleigh. My brother used to live in Raleigh, now lives in Carborough. Uh, so I just always knew it. And then, of course, <laughs> in my first year of law school, I was back interning at the attorney general's office and met a woman named Anna Harris, who was also interning at the Attorney General's office, who was at UNC Law School, and then we got engaged and married, and that helped seal the deal. So let's talk about your political beliefs. What inspired you to engage in politics, and do you have any inspiration or political heroes looking back? I have a number of political heroes. My family has always, my parents have always been incredibly politically engaged. Uh, both in just a social community way, but also in a, in a political way, in an electoral political way. My family moved to North Carolina in 1966, right after I was born, 
so that my father could join with Julius Chambers to form North Carolina's first interracial law firm. And they went on to litigate in the 60s and 70s many of the cases to ensure that at the workplace, at our universities, uh, in our schools, and um, for voting, that there wouldn't be discrimination. And the victories that they achieved were hard fought but incredibly important. Our state has come so far in the 40 years since we've been here. But living in that kind of household, which is you know, tinged with politics and trying to promote a, a fair, more just society affects the way you view the world. And so it surely affected me. And I always knew that I wanted to get into some form of public service, whether like after law school, I, I joined a couple of nonprofit groups doing community economic development, doing affordable housing in Durham or raising capital to invest in small businesses around the state. Uh, so I always knew I wanted to do something where I was contributing to, to society and Electoral politics is just one of many different ways you can do it, and I try. I, I chose to give it a try. So what causes would you say would define you or your campaign? Right now, it has to be job creation and economic development. The whole state is taking it on the chin. Uh, you know, in the last 12 months of uh, the Bush presidency, North Carolina's unemployment rate went from 54 to 10.8%. It doubled in the 12 months before I took office. And that hurts. And it has to be the number one um, goal of every elected official is to try to change that. And we have been taking concrete actions to improve the economy in North Carolina, investing in the industries of the future like engineering, like uh, clean technology, like biotechnology, like regenerative medicine, like interactive digital media, video games. These are all sectors that are growing, that are our future, and we've turned the corner in North Carolina. We're not where we want to be, but Bureau of Labor Statistics, the number one state in the country in the month of August in total jobs created was North Carolina. The number three state in the biggest drop in unemployment for the 12 months prior, North Carolina. The number four state in total jobs created over the last year, North Carolina. So we are decidedly headed in the right direction, and that's because of our uh, focus like a laser beam on the economy. So what would you tell your constituents or potential voters looking back at your time in the Senate now? What have you done so far that you're proud of? Well, I've worked in a number of areas that I think have made a difference for the constituencies. Uh, one has to do with quality of life here in Wake County. Falls Lake is our drinking water source. It's the largest drinking water source that's polluted in the state. Half a million people drink from it. Uh, I wrote legislation that we got through last year that is going to speed up the process by which Falls Lake gets cleaned up. Uh, I worked on legislation um, to ensure that DNA is used as evidence to get more violent criminals off the streets and in prison and innocent people out of prison. Uh, I, I wrote the legislation for these Internet sweepstakes casinos that are popping up in, spread, in, um, in shopping centers all around the state, which are really just preying on people's financial desperation to get rid of that to get rid of that uh, uh, really unfortunate industry that, that is taking advantage of people, um, I've worked uh, to on our budget to protect education. I think the most important service and the biggest asset of the state is educating our people, and so our budget prioritizes education in a way that uh, that reflects its priority. Sixty cents of every dollar goes to education. We preserved 
the teachers in the classroom. So we didn't lay off teachers last year in K through 12. We fully funded enrollment growth at our community colleges and public universities. And we actually increased need-based financial aid for universities because we know that in a down economy, more people need that help to get to go to college. And we don't want to shut the doors to college to anyone. You described a few things about education. How else do universities, perhaps specifically NC State, fit into your legislative agenda? Well, I, I worked very hard to try to get additional bond funding to get Engineering Building 4 opened up. Uh, we unfortunately couldn't get that through last year. Uh, we got it through the Senate, but we couldn't get it through the House. Uh, very pleased that we – I went to the groundbreaking for Engineering Building 3 uh, about a month ago, and it's a fantastic facility that is going to only help the engineering uh, program college continue to advance – we put $3 million just to help fund new faculty members for that program. And so we need to continue to support the universities. Right now, we invest as a state $12,000 for every North Carolina, North Carolina student at, at NC State. That is an incredible investment. It's a subsidy for the students so that they don't have to pay the full cost of their education. But we do it because it's important because college students are the future. You all are the ones who are going to come up with the ideas that help us solve battery technology to promote electric cars. You're going to be the ones who teach our children in high school. You're going to be the ones who are out there making North Carolina a strong state long into the 21st century. And so that level of commitment to university students is something I'm committed to maintaining. So perhaps ironically, a lot of news stories and polls right now indicate that young voters, especially college students, are a lot less engaged or likely to vote this year than they were in 2008. What's your message to young voters? That this election is nowhere near as exciting as the last election, but it is as important. And so students who were excited for the first time and came out to vote in 2008 need to realize that to consolidate whatever victories have occurred and to ensure that we don't take steps backward, they need to make sure they go out and vote and uh, voting is very easy in North Carolina. You can vote early. You already can starting yesterday. Just go downtown to the Board of Elections or starting next Friday, we can do it in Cary. Unfortunately, the early voting site at Pullen isn't open the way that it was in 2008. But I just strongly encourage young folks to go vote because we're the ones who set your budget. And frankly, there's, you know, there, there's real choices. You know, your tuition went up some this year and it, it pained us to have that happen. But had we not had a balanced approach to the budget, your tuition would have doubled or tripled over and above what was experienced because we were prepared to have a balanced approach to our budget chasm of $4.5 billion, and not everybody wants to be balanced. Well, the budget and tuition, those were some frustrations this past summer and I believe the one before it. Let's talk about what the Senate is going to face in upcoming years. Of course, redistricting is coming up. Uh, as well as more budgets and shortfalls. How do you plan to deal with those if you're reelected? Uh, on redistricting, what we need to do is make sure that we have fair, fairly drawn districts that reflect the politics of the state. And so whichever side, you know, if the other side uh, wins and is the one drawing the districts, we can be sure that there will be substantially fewer Democrats in the U.S. Congress because Republicans will draw it so that uh, Democrats lose. Uh, so if if one cares about what their congressional representation is, then that's another reason to come out and vote. Uh, in terms of the budget, we will face a substantial shortfall. 
And to me, it's a matter of how do you approach that? Are you going to have a balanced and responsible approach to a $3 billion shortfall uh, that will surely require more cuts to state government? But you have to have everything on the table. Everything has to be on the table in, in order to make sure you don't do permanent damage to the quality of our state. The reason why North Carolina is one of the best growing states in the country is because we don't shy away from investing in our people, and we can't take steps backward. So let's talk about your campaign now. I've seen some signs out there. What else are you doing to connect to voters and uh, hear what their concerns are? I do community meetings in the district. Did one in Morrisville last week, one in uh, Cary last night. I, I knock on doors. I phone bank. I call into people's houses and talk to them. Uh, I uh, go to associations of groups like this morning. I went and talked to a whole bunch of people who are interested in Smart Start, early childhood education. I'm going to go talk with engineers uh, next week. So there are any which way I can get out there and meet voters and hear their concerns, talk about my ideas, have a conversation with them, I'm doing that. I'm also communicating, doing paid communications because too little of the media actually pays attention. And so I commend you for focusing on our race. Um, but it's hard to break through the big media. And so I, I'm sending flyers to people's houses telling them a little bit more about what I've done and what my priorities are. And, of course, we're really happy that you joined us today. Now, we talked about some of your issues and platforms pertaining to jobs in the economy. Uh, let's go to social issues for mm -hmm. a second. You have lots of endorsements, Equality NC, uh, Pro-Choice, Planned Parenthood, Sierra Club. Outline your beliefs there. Well, I don't know if you heard, but one of the Republican House members sent an email to every other Republican House member last week essentially using slurs in reference to gays and lesbians. And then one of my Republican Senate colleagues last year said that we uh, in the Democratic Party were under the thumb of the quote-unquote homosexual lobby. And what they were upset about is really pretty astounding. We, had, we passed legislation that required every school district in the state to have a policy against bullying against any student for any reason, including whether they were gay or they were perceived to be gay. And because we wanted to make sure that our schools protected kids who go to school, uh, that we're somehow doing something that's anti-American. And that is so fundamentally inverted. It's the opposite of what is American, in my opinion. Uh, of course, every child should be able to go to school. We, you know, you read these stories and, and kids are dying around this country because they're being taunted because of their sexual orientation. And whether you're straight or you're gay or whether you think being straight or being gay is right, then you've got to understand everyone's a human being and no one should go through any abuse. Very quickly, how can our listeners find out more about you and your campaign? Thank you. Uh, I have a website. It's joshstein.org. And so it's easy to find. Anybody who wants to help volunteer, we welcome them. You just email us through the website. Uh, if, if you have questions, you can call me. You can email me. I'm, I'm happy to hear from my constituents. Uh, I've just done my first term. I've tried to work really hard, um, and I want to get reelected so I can continue trying to represent the 16th District, NC State, Wake County, and do the best I can for the state. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Senator Stein. John, I appreciate it. Please stay tuned after the break, and we'll meet Senator Stein's challengers. Check on the weather, get Taylor Barber's sports analysis. 
Mark Herring has a bone to pick with State Fair Food and more gardening tips from Chris Chaffee. You can get in touch with Eye on the Triangle through Twitter, WKNCEOT is where we're at, or WKNC881. Email publicaffairs at WKNC.org or find us on Facebook. Do you like what you're hearing? Listen again. Tonight's program will be podcasted through iTunes U. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Mr. Michael Beasley, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing, John? Excellent. I wanted to begin just as a candidate profile by offering our listeners some idea of who you are, a personal background. Well, again, my name's Michael Beasley, and I'm running for North Carolina Senate District 16, of which uh, North Carolina State University uh, resides in the district. It's actually in the heart of my district that I'm running for. My background, I grew up, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. I went into the Navy right out of high school, was in the Navy for two years, and then was selected for a Navy scholarship and went back to college on a Navy ROTC scholarship. Went back in the Navy in 1983 and served until 1989. I was a submarine officer back in the 80s. I've been married since 1985. My wife, Julie, and I have six children. My wife, Julie, in fact, is a student here at North Carolina State. She's a senior studying to teach French and secondary education. She graduates next May and is getting very excited about that. Since uh, 1989, uh, I'd lived in Maryland right after I got out of the Navy, was there to 1992. During that time, I ran another political campaign, just a, a congressional primary campaign. That was kind of where I really started getting more into politics. I moved to North Carolina in 1992, worked for one of the utilities here, and got involved in politics at least here in the Wake County area during that time. Uh, From uh, 1992 to 99, I worked for other companies as an engineer. I am an engineer. And then in 1999, I started my own engineering company, Apogee Consulting Group, and have had that company since then. And, again, I'm a licensed professional engineer. I got my degree in electrical engineering at the University of Oklahoma and, again, practice engineering here in North Carolina and throughout the country. So you are a Republican candidate. You've identified yourself as a Republican for pretty much your whole political life. Talk more about your political influences and your history with that. You know, my political influences, I I remember the election of Richard Nixon in 1972 and the landslide election it was. And, you know, that was the end of Vietnam. I was a teenager at that time, a young teenager. And then, unfortunately, after his election, Watergate came about, and I remember that quite well. I remember the 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 feeling throughout the country with Watergate going on, the Arab oil embargo, and all the things that were going on at the time. And in 1976, Jimmy Carter ran for president, and quite frankly, Jimmy Carter was a refreshing view at the time. Now, I tell people that Jimmy Carter made me a Republican, because after Jimmy Carter was elected in 1976, and started serving in 77, the way he ran ran his administration was just very, very bad, if you will. I remember the high interest rates, the everything just didn't seem to work. I was in the military at the time, and, and I recall this the, how the military was at the time. The attitude, the morale well, wasn't very good at that time. Again, that was still post-Vietnam, but Jimmy Carter didn't seem to do much to help that. Now, in 1980, when Ronald Reagan ran, he turned things around. And I would say that I'm a Reagan Republican. He did a very good job of turning the country around, of giving us a vision of what our future could be that Jimmy Carter just couldn't do. And again, I registered as a Republican uh, at age 18, and I've been a Republican ever since. And again, Reagan, I think, did a a great job of running this country through the 80s. And I am proud to say that I do consider myself a Reagan Republican. And you're proud of the current state of the Republican Party? 
Well, the Republican Party right now, at least locally, is is very strong. It's doing a great job, and and it's, and it's like any group. It's have it has its issues, things where they fight among themselves or they don't do something right. And we try to be honest with ourselves about it and and, and fix our our problems when we make them or fix our mistakes when we make them. And again, I'll, I'm I'm committed to the Republican Party. Now let's start going over your platform. Most of your beliefs do align with the Republican Party beliefs. But what would you identify as your main cause or issue right now? I think our main cause, my main cause, I am a small business owner. I hire people. I employ them. I, I pay them. I give them benefits. And as a small business person, uh, we are up against a lot right now from government. Government right now with the Obama administration is basically wanting to shut down business by telling everybody that they'll take care of anything. You know, if you have a health care problem, well, government will take care of it. If you have this problem, well, government will take care of it. America was not founded on government uh, of a government that size and government that heavy-handed. And we need to reverse that. We need to, to move both North Carolina and our country in a direction that allows for prosperity and growth and not for stagnation and the despair, if you will, at times that you hear in people's voice when they look at, okay, what's next? What are they going to do to us next or, or, or take from us next? And again, we need to turn this around. This, uh, this current administration in, in, in Washington has done a very poor job. And at the state level, we can do our part to help turn that around. And I, I want to be part of that. So at the State House in Raleigh, what is in your power to change? Well, the things that are in power to change the State House or the state spending levels the state tax levels, the a, a very important part of this election cycle is redistricting. You know, we take the census every 10 years, and after that census, we redraw the both the U.S. House districts and then the state House and state Senate districts. A little point of history, North Carolina, the North Carolina State Senate has been controlled by Democrats since 1898. That's 112 years. That's quite a long time for one party to be in control. And if you look at how, especially how the congressional districts are drawn in North Carolina, it's an embarrassment. I mean, the gerrymandering that goes on. And so one of the important issues is we're going to bring some sanity and some some good reasoning into the redistricting process that I think the Democrats, because they've been in power too long, have avoided. Let's go back to businesses for a second. You understand businesses owning one. Uh, What policies right now are currently holding back businesses in North Carolina? I think the biggest thing holding back businesses right now is the lack of capital as far as investment capital. The banks are, are holding on to their money because they're being overregulated. And have they made mistakes in the past? Yes, as we, as we all do. But I think they're being overregulated. They're afraid to loan money. The requirements for borrowing money are very stringent. And until we free up capital through lowering the regulation on banks, getting the business climate more favorable in the form of, of lower government spending and lower taxes, this economy won't turn around. It ne- the money has to flow for the economy to move, and we've got to put uh, tax policies in place, spending policies in place, and regulations in place that will cost money to start moving again. Now back to the campaign. How have you connected with voters so far? I think it's connected with voters. You know, I am uh, married with six children. I have children all the way from grad school down to elementary school. So I'm in tune with the education issues that people are facing, both here in Wake County and at the college level. Uh, the taxes, I mean, I've, I've got a 
pay taxes like everybody else. I've got to, you know, buy groceries. I've got to do all the things that the normal people do. I'm not a wealthy man. I do own a business, but I'm not a wealthy man. So, you know, I, I have some, some of the similar struggles that people have in this economy of, of trying to make ends meet, trying to, to, to get, you know, do the things that I need to do for my family. So what are the concerns have people been bringing to you during the campaign? I think the biggest concern that I see is the size of government. People, and for whatever reason, I'm not sure really, and we can maybe get a little more into why it started, you know, uh, the Tea Party movement, for example. I think the Tea Party movement is a good movement. It, it, it covers, uh, it goes across the spectrum of the of the political parties. But again, they're motivated by saying, hey, we've had enough of too much government. We need to reverse the size of government. And that's what we're hearing over and over throughout the campaign. People want smaller government. They don't want government to do everything for them because they're seeing now that the cost of it is just more than, than we can afford, and we need, to, we need to scale that back. So do you have a message for young voters or specifically college students that might be listening? You know, when you're in college, you, you, you're worried about your classes, you know, making good grades, you know, your date on Friday night or Saturday night and the football games and all the things that you worry about as a college student. But in the back of your mind is, I'm going to graduate here either next year or two years from now or three years from now, and where am I going to get a job? Where am I going to work? What am I going to be able to do? You know, I don't think most college students plan on moving back home after they graduate if they don't have to. I think they would like to go out on their own, would like to get their own place to live, get their own job, make their own money, and, and take care of their own lives. But we have to give them an economy that will allow that to happen. And we have to do that by getting business back on track so that we can get growth in our economy, so that businesses will hire, so that these students coming out of college will have employment opportunities. So that's how you would describe how young people and NC State could fit into your legislative agenda. Yeah, I, you know, NC State, you know, one thing about North Carolina, it has a lot to offer. I mean, North Carolina is a great place to live, and I've traveled all over the country, and I travel quite a bit, and I've been all over the country. And North Carolina is one of the best places to live. You know, and NC State is a part of this. And NC State is a great school. It's, it's, it's got good, a good reputation for its research, for, for the type of school it is. And, and with that, People, when they graduate from NC State, they expect, okay, I graduated from NC State. I should be able to find a job. And I run across this a lot. And when they can't, they're sitting there thinking, well, what's wrong? What, what's happening here? But it's something that's outside of their control because of the overall economy and the way it's going. So what I owe these students as a, as a state senator is to get this economy back on track in the ways that I can influence it as a state senator, again, through controlling the state spending lowering taxes, getting business to make investment again, and giving them the opportunity when they graduate that they can have, a, have employment that means something to them so that they can you know, move on to the next stage of their life. So in this race, you have the role of the underdog, the challenger. Mm -hmm. Do you relish that role? How are you handling it? My life has kind of been a story of being told, you know, I can't do something, so I maybe try to prove people wrong. And not entirely, but, but I, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Uh, my opponent is well-funded. He, he's, a, he's a very uh, respected senator. He uh, very well-educated, a, a nice guy. I've met him. He's a very, very nice guy. I just think his policies are wrong. He thinks that when we have a problem, we need more government, and, you know, he'll, he'll, get, he'll give you that bigger government. But with that, he wants to take more of your money so he can tell you how to spend it. I think that when we have problems, I want less government. I want the private market, the private economy and the power of the free market 
to help solve these problems. And that's probably the biggest difference between my opponent and I is that if there's an issue, he wants bigger government. He wants to a kind of a nanny state, if you will, and I want smaller government. I want to to get people to take responsibility for their own lives as much as they can and and work that way. Looking back at the most recent legislative session, what do you have a problem with? Probably the, the biggest you know? issue is uh, the last legislature didn't deal with the budget. Uh, right now, North Carolina is projected to have a budget shortfall of three to four billion. That's billion with a B. That's a lot of money. You know, our our estimated our state budget runs around twenty billion. So we're looking at a fairly sizable percentage that we're going to be short, according to current you know revenue models and stuff. So. They could have probably done more to address that issue that they didn't. They could have, okay, we're going to have to cut spending here or do something here or or whatever the case may be, and they didn't address that. They said, well, we'll just kick it out to the next session and deal with it then. Well, fortunately for the Republicans, we're going to get to fix that problem because the Republicans, I do believe, are going to take over the, the state Senate. Whether I win my election or not, because I am an underdog, whether I win my election or not, I believe that the North Carolina, that the Republicans will gain the majority of the seats in the state Senate and in the state House, and we will get to help North Carolina get on a better track and a better approach to budgeting and taxation than what it has been in the past. So if you make it to Raleigh, which isn't too far away, Mm -hmm. how do you plan to get input and feedback from your constituents? Well, just listen to them. You know, uh, I'm a fairly transparent person when it comes to getting a hold of me. You know, I'm not going to hide behind uh, you know, unlisted numbers or other things, you know, people can get a hold of me and ask me. I'll take the time to, to listen to them and see what their concerns are. And I do that now already on the campaign trail. I, take, I try to take the time to listen to people and find out what their concerns are. So if people would like to find out more about your campaign and your platforms, where should they go? My website is www.votebeasley.com. Now, Beasley is spelt a little different. It's B-E-E-Z-L-E-Y. Again, www.votebeasley.com. Or if you just Google my name, Michael Beasley, it should pop up near the top on the Google search. Well, Michael Beasley, thank you for joining us here today. Michael Beasley, the Republican challenger for the 16th District of the North Carolina Senate, thank you. Thank you, John. So I'm now talking to Stephanie Watson, the Libertarian candidate for the 16th District of the North Carolina Senate. And it turns out you're familiar with WKNC, and you're also familiar with NC State. Tell us about that. Well, I was a student from 1991 to 1996. I have a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics Education. Um, And I've returned to school recently to do uh, graduate work in computer science. So um, I lived on campus. I lived in... Uh, Bowen my freshman year, and then Wood, and then Barry, and ultimately Watauga Hall, which was my absolute favorite. Uh, I have memories of waking up after Hurricane Fran had come through Raleigh, looking out my window in Watauga Hall and seeing Pullen Park with all the trees down. So, yeah, I I, uh, I remember those days. Um, and I, I've always been a fan of Cansey. I mean, one of the great things about Cansey is that I f- hear music that I wouldn't hear anywhere else. I learn about bands I would have never learned about otherwise. And uh, it's, it's expanded my music collection. <laughs> so you're still here at State taking classes now? I am. I'm currently taking undergraduate level classes because it's been so long. Uh, computer science tends to get outdated after 15 years, so... 
Uh, I'm, I'm catching up on that, and my next step is to uh, move into graduate-level work. Hopefully I can uh, do that and, and start working toward my master's. So let's talk about you personally and okay. your history. Right. Uh, even though I was born in Newport News, Virginia, my parents are from Johnston and Wilson counties, and after four years of living in Virginia, they moved back, and so I grew up in Kenley, North Carolina, a very small town, uh, tucked between Smithfield and Wilson, and uh, my mom's family was all from Rock Ridge, so I, I, I consider myself a native, and uh, when I went to college, came here to NC State and fell in love with Raleigh, and I've been in love with Raleigh ever since. And you've worked in education? I have. I worked uh, in Rockingham County Schools, which is north of uh, Guilford County in Greensboro. I worked as a math uh, middle school math teacher for three years in Rockingham County. So let's talk a little now about your involvements politically. Is this the first okay. time you've ever ran for a seat? Yes, the first time I've ever done anything like this. So how's that process worked? Have you been intimidated or have you found support from the state level? I tell you what, um, the support has come from the people who really believe in what I stand for. Uh, yeah, it's intimidating, especially because we're a third party, uh, from people that feel that we don't have a chance, and thus, why run? So when and how did you make up your mind to run, and why this seat? Uh, it was about two years ago. I had, ho- had hoped to run in 08 uh, in this, this, for the same seat, but I had moved <laughs> right before the cutoff, and I had crossed Senate districts uh, at that time, and so I wasn't eligible to run. Uh, for 08, um, I, I definitely wanted to run for Senate. Um, I And it was the General Assembly. I, I definitely want to serve in the General Assembly. Like I said, I grew up in North Carolina. I love the people here. I love uh, the idea of um, doing something in service to my home state uh, that really believe, that I really believe in. When people find out that you're running for office, have you got any interesting reactions? I my family is is iffy about it. They're not they associate um, politics with either rich people or corrupt people, and as they see me as neither rich nor corrupt, they were a little skeptical about me running. Were they for afraid office. that you would become corrupt? I, I'm not sure if it was that or if they or if that I might just get associated with corrupt people. I don't well, that know. You get eaten alive. Maybe that yeah. might be it. They're looking out for my best interests always. Certainly, um, I think uh, the the most common reaction I get uh, is people who want to know why I'm running uh, and what it is that I represent and. I love to hear that because it means that they're not at they're not looking at me hearing my introduction and saying, "Oh, okay, well, I'll vote for you based on some label or just the fact that they've met me." They're actually thinking about it. They're actually considering whether or not they would vote for me based on their own beliefs, and I like to see that. So, we'll come back to your platforms in a minute, but mm-hmm. just out of curiosity, do you have any inspirations politically, any heroes? <laughs> Heroes. Um, I'm going to have to go with Milton Friedman on that. Uh, his economic uh, philosophies um, are things that we can continually see come true today. 
uh, he he's left us, but his legacy is going to live on for a long time. Uh, the the free market legacy. So in terms of uh, political inspiration, I that that's my largest one. Uh, but then on a, a more local level, our uh, gubernatorial candidate in 2008, Mike Munger, has been very inspiring to me. So what would you call maybe the main issue in your campaign? And how do your beliefs differ from what the other parties are saying? Well, I think right now the economy in North Carolina is our number one issue. Uh, and it's not just about jobs, but it's about the entire system uh, of money movement. Um, certainly we need more jobs, but the only way we're going to get more jobs is to make it easier for businesses to be able to give those jobs to people. Uh, I have a feeling that our state has gone the wrong direction for a while with regards to tax incentives for businesses. Certainly they've made some mistakes, and they're learning from those mistakes, but they still continue to think tax incentives themselves are a good solution for bringing business to North Carolina. What I believe is that if you make it easier for businesses to do business in North Carolina, they'll come here because it's a viable option. Uh, it's a place that they can already see that they'll make money instead of just coming here uh, to gamble with our people and our resources uh, only to leave four or five years later because it just didn't work out across the state. You'll be sharing the ballot in November mm -hmm. with the Libertarian candidate running for the United States Senate, Michael Beitler, who we spoke to on last week's program. Yes. Do you see any type of coattail effect with people interested in his campaign coming out to vote and seeing that there are more libertarians on the ballot? Uh, well, I wouldn't call it a coattail in this uh, in this effect because people who are going to vote for Beitler are going to vote for him because they see him individually as someone they want to vote for. What I do see is not so much a coattail but an educational effect. Uh, in that they're going to see that he's the libertarian candidate. They're going to see the title libertarian. And then they're going to look farther down on the ballot for other libertarian candidates. And uh, what he represents and the way he's been representing our party, I think, has been, been very good for those of us in the down-ticket races. Um, because I, I can say that I, I'm 90 to 95% aligned with where Beitler would be uh, in terms of our personal platforms. So let's talk about your campaign. Mm -hmm. What have you been doing? How have you been connecting with voters? Uh, you know, it's been tough because I do work a full-time job and I, I have school. Uh, but So one of the biggest things that I've been able to do is uh, I held a couple of meet-and-greet events where I invited people to come and just simply meet me and, and do Q&A with me. Uh, but also just responding to every invitation I get. There's, there are community uh, groups, um, interest groups all over the place that want to be able to invite candidates out and speak to their membership. And uh, what's been wonderful is not only to be a third party on the ballot in North Carolina, but to be recognized by those organizations as being someone valid to participate in those events. Um, it's been wonderful to be able to get out there and meet people um, through those uh, efforts. In fact, I'm going uh, to a, a, a forum tonight. I have one later this week. had a couple last week. 
uh, that's really how I'm getting out there and meeting people. Let's talk about young college-age voters. There was a lot of people saying more excitement back in 2008 (laughs) than there is this year. What's your message to people in college uh, who may be planning to vote or who might not be planning to vote but who are still eligible? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would simply say um, those of us who are in college or college-educated, we're not necessarily any better at discerning what we want We just have a different idea of what we want. Uh, I think it's important that we uh, not look at just our needs, that we look at um, what we may want for our future. Uh, I think our biggest uh, thing that we need to do, though, is is look at ourselves as individuals. What is it that's important to us? Uh, Forget the propaganda. Forget trying to join with uh, a group under a single banner. Um, there's a, an identity need with um, when it comes to college, a, a need to identify with some group of people and be able to make the social and and eventual professional connections uh, that'll carry us through the rest of our lives. Uh, but what we need to be careful of is not to sacrifice what's important to us individually as we try to look for those groups of people who are like-minded with us. Uh, We need to be able to discern between propaganda and uh, facts uh, uh, or opinion and facts and and, and look for the facts, look for the research that goes behind something. Um, You know, if, if someone tells you they voted for X because uh, the research said that X was the better solution then find out what that research is and see if there has been alternate research find out what what both sides of the issue are how do you plan to represent students in the university and perhaps the university itself if you go to raleigh uh it's an interesting question a lot of people look at it from the perspective of the college as a whole and what is the college getting uh, but what I would like to, to think of is what are the people getting when they leave here? Are they going to have the jobs that, that you know, the, that the university has prepared them for? Uh, or are they going to be leaving the state in droves to go find something in California or New York or Texas? Uh, I, w- I would like to keep people in this area uh, because... Uh, if they, like me, come to state, fall in love with the area, but they can't find a job, it's it's going to be a little disheartening that, that they can't stay and, and make a life here. And so um, by, by addressing those economic issues, uh, helping to uh, even the playing field for business, I, I want to make it so that we have growing industry here in North Carolina uh, industry that will sustain over time so that the person graduating with their uh, master's degree in computer science today can go to work at RTP, um, buy a house in a few years in Cary, raise their family there, uh, and even have their kids come to NC State. So how do you feel about that common perception that 
libertarian candidates often act as spoilers in races for one side or the other, for better or worse. You know, there's a lot of uh, conflicting views on that. Um, for example, a lot there were people in the Republican Party that accused Mike Munger of stealing votes from Pat McCrory in 08, uh, and that that was the reason Purdue won. But other research has shown that, or, or basically exit polls have shown that uh, Munger captured more Democratic votes than he did Republican votes in terms of uh, those who were affiliated. Um, so I don't, I, you know, there's, my attitude is that the reason that we have these problems to start with is that we're doing our ballot wrong. <laughs> we're looking for whoever gets the most votes in a race as opposed to <clears throat> looking at uh a true majority. Uh, if we had a voting system such as instant runoff voting, which we're going to be trying for judges this year, uh, we could have a ranking system, and thus people would be more confident to put a libertarian as their number one choice as long as they could also designate that number two choice. Uh, and I think what we would see is that third parties would suddenly become on an equal playing field uh, with the with the big two parties. So I think my thought is that the reason we're there is is simply because people are looking at the system that's in place and they're trying to play the system that we have. So to our listeners out there, if they want to find out more about you and your campaign, where do they go? GoLiberty.net. That's the word go. The word liberty smushed together as one word, dot net. And uh, I, that was my blog website for a while, and I turned it into my campaign website. Uh, for the duration, uh, I actually have a sub page called issues. So if you go to goliberty.net and click issues, those are the top issues that I'm uh, addressing in the campaign. Well, it was a pleasure to have you here talking with us. Thank yeah. you so much, Stephanie. Thank you, John. All right, that's Stephanie Watson, Libertarian candidate for the 16th District of the North Carolina Senate. From the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle, your weekly update on athletic events. This week, I am joined by Taylor Barber here. Tyler Everett is out today uh so we had a bit of a how do you say uh let down yes i would say let down um for this uh there was this football game last weekend uh, against ecu didn't go as planned yeah it was a uh, it was a very rough game and coming from someone who witnessed it at ecu not one not a very fun one to go to the pack i mean just ecu you got to give it to them first off they came out and played their hearts out and they don't want to hear it no, they're not saying it, but they played like this was their national championship game, and it is. I mean, this is the biggest game of the year. They consider this the hu- the biggest rivalry. I know I have a lot of friends down there. All they want to do is beat State, and it was a huge game, and we just came out. The pack came out very flat and just got waxed. I mean, that first quarter, ECU put up 21 straight points using a really quick offense, just a little bubble screen, bubble screen, bubble screen, just really fast-paced offense, and it took a while for NC State defense to get adjusted, and they didn't really stop it until they finally got out of that 4-3 defense and switched to a 3-3-5 where they brought in an extra safety to help help contain with those four or five wide receiver sets that ECU kept throwing at them with Dominique Davis. But the biggest story, I think, for the game wasn't the defense because defense, yeah, it gave up 21 points, but it made a huge, uh, or 21 points in the first quarter, but it made an adjustment. It only gave up six points 
for the rest of the uh, game or for the rest of the game in regulation. It gave up the touchdown in overtime, obviously. But it was the offense. I mean, ECU had one of the worst defenses in the NCAA. They were giving up 44 points per game on average, and this comes against teams that are in Conference USA, like Southern Miss, some of these just low teams. And we go in there with one of the best offenses in the league and manage 27 points, and that's it. Russell Wilson does not look like Russell Wilson lately. He's thrown nine picks in the past three games. And, I mean, he's just struggled, especially in this game. I mean, the offense just looked out of sync. We didn't run the ball at all, which I had no clue why. ECU's not deep at all on defense, but we completely just abandoned the run game until in the overtime when, obviously, we ran those two back-to-back runs for negative yards. yards. But, I mean, and Wilson just struggled. He threw three interceptions, especially the one that hurt the most was that one he threw in overtime, trying to force the ball. And he just doesn't look right to me. I mean, he's lofting the ball up really quickly. And I just think he needs to get back to what made Russell Wilson so special that first year, two years ago, when he was named ACC Offensive Player of the Year because he was scrambling around. He was buying time for himself, making plays with not only his arm but his legs. This year, it's like, it's how quick can I get it out of my hands? It's like, take the hike, drop back one, two, three, throw it to a receiver, either throw it just up, let him go make a play, or throw it out of bounds. He's not buying time. He's not scrambling. He's not running at all. And I think that's the biggest thing that he's doing and the biggest problem that the offense is having. And it's just, it's like we have one route, and that's just a fly route where Russell Wilson just throws it up to Jarvis Williams or Owen Spencer and says, hey, man, just go get it. It's good to have that kind of relationship and that faith in your receivers. But at the same time, I mean, we have some awesome receivers and we should be running better plays than this. And I mean, there's just, there's some need some work, and it's definitely a good time for a bye week right now. So going into this bye week, how do you think that NC State will adjust to kind of keep up their season i mean we've dropped to five and three right five five and two but they've lost two two. two out of the last three that's a little rough to think about but at the same time no one thought nc state would have been five i can't imagine many people thought they would be five and two and start off the season four and oh but i think really i don't know if it's much adjusting defensively it's adjusting because it seemed virginia tech and ecu kind of showed that they can neutralize our blitzing attack this year by short little passing screens short little spreading the field in a shotgun formation so i think that is just making an adjustment which we did against ecu but i think the biggest thing this bye week is just giving us some rest we had a lot of guys i mean playing six straight weeks or seven straight weeks it's tough it's a tough thing to do and so i think i mean that's just good these guys are going to have a few days off of practice have some time to themselves, get rest, get relaxed. I mean, just get healthy again. I mean, we haven't had the huge injuries like we've had in the past two years, but it's just those injuries that you don't see in the injury report, just people being banged up, just a sore knee, a sore elbow, those kind of things. That's just this bye week's going to be very beneficial, and hopefully after this we just get back at it, and we got a short week next week in Florida State on ESPN, and I think that's going to be a huge game, and hopefully we can get everything back to normal and just uh, get that uh, bowl-clinching win. So let's switch gears uh, for a minute. Um, talk about some Major League Baseball. I know it's in the postseason, and uh, the Yankees got routed last night to have the Texas Rangers go up 2-1 and one in that series. Can you talk a little about Major League Baseball and what the postseason is looking like? Oh, yeah. Well, it hasn't been as interesting for me since the Giants knocked the Braves out in the uh, NLDS. But, I mean, it's, it's awesome. you got some great pitching. First off, in the National League, the Phillies and the Giants. I mean, just talk about some great pitching. Roy Oswald, Roy Holiday. I mean, throwing a, a no-hitter in his first career postseason start. And then, I mean, obviously with the Giants, that's what got him there is that pitching. The freak Tim Lincecum is just one of the best pitchers in the league. And it's just filthy, unhittable. And then they got Matt Cain, Jonathan Sanchez. And that's just a great series. 
And I think, I mean, as bad as the Giants' offense is, lacking their big-name stars like what the Phillies have with Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Victorino, those kind of things, I mean, I think the Giants have just as good a shot as the Phillies do. I mean, that pitching is just unhittable. Trust me, I mean, I saw the Braves, and they don't have quite the offense the Phillies have, but... Lincecum, Kane, that's just some tough guys to beat. And then moving to the American League, like you said, I'm, I, was, I was happy for the Rangers. I mean, this is, this is a team, it's like David versus Goliath. The Rangers have won one postseason series in their history, and that was beating the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays to get where they are right now. And that's one. Going up against a team that's won, what, 27 uh, World Series titles? I mean, just David versus Goliath. But, I mean, they're up right now. They're 2-1 to one right now, and they have another game tonight where they're still at home. Still in Arlington, got a favorable matchup. They're throwing uh, their rookie Tommy Hunter against A.J. Burnett, who has struggled, to say the least, this year, just being very inconsistent for the Yankees. But, I mean, I don't know. You can't ever count the Yankees out. That offense is just potent. It all get out, and you know you're going to see CC coming back the game after. It's just tough. I mean, with Jeter, with Posada, with Mariano, those guys have been there. And this is still basically the same nucleus and the same team that won the title last year. So you can't ever count the Yankees out. But I'm saying go Rangers right now, and let's just see how far they can go. Well, my grandfather might disagree with you, but... I appreciate your insight on sports this week. And we'll get back next week to talk about some basketball. I know the red and white game was on Friday. So we will be discussing it next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC. I'm John Boyer, and the time is 7.54. A reminder, you can join in on the program and let us know what you think by sending us a tweet to WKNC EOT, an email to publicaffairs at WKNC.org, or find us on Facebook, Eye on the Triangle. We turn now to weather. Kyle is here with us from the NCSU Broadcast Meteorology Program. I'm really tired of the hot weather. Do you have any good news for me? Um, yes, for, for now, actually for Thursday, it's going to be a little warm, but Friday, the temperatures are going to go back to fall light temperatures with uh, in the low 70s. Uh, but as for today, it was a nice sunny day with a high around 78. Tonight, expect temperatures to be in the mid-50s. Tomorrow morning, it's going to be a cold front coming through that bring cooler temperatures and cloudy conditions with a slight chance of rain. It'll be a high around 68 with winds from the north of 5 to 10 miles per hour. It'll be partly cloudy conditions after the front passes by, bringing light winds and a low tomorrow night to be down in the upper 40s. Thursday, like I said, it's going to be a beautiful day with sunny skies, high around 77, with west winds 5 to 10 miles per hour. Thursday night, it's going to be clear, light winds, low around 44. Expect that weather to carry on into Friday with sunny skies and slightly cooler temperatures around 71. There's also a tropical disturbance stirring up in the western Caribbean, so we're going to keep our eye on that. And thank you for listening. I'm Kyle, and that's your Wolfpack weather for the week. So it sounds like the weather will hold up at least just a little bit for getting out to the State Fair, which I plan to do once more. And Mark Herring is now with us to talk about food for the week. And it sounds like you have a bit of a problem with some of the State Fair food. Yeah, I have a few things. Uh, Just a, a little bit of a grudge, maybe. I'm not sure. I'll get to that. But last week I mentioned that I would talk about some fall inspired recipes. Cooking with seasonal ingredients seems to have made itself into the new fads of cooking. And it really scares me because I don't know why there should be a new fad. It's so basic. It should be instinctive to use fresh ingredients. However, in my outspoken opinion, we all have become a little separated from food, cooking, and everything else in between. 
So tonight I want to clarify a few things about seasonal ingredients, as well as provide some tasty advice for a knockout recipe. However, before I talk about butternut squash risotto, which is my secret recipe, I noticed something freakishly disturbing over the weekend, so I'm going to make a quick statement. And yeah, it's about the state fair, and it's that time of year. And new yet unoriginal concoctions of, f- of food abound, and they amazingly captivate our gluttonous attention. Batter and hot oil seem to be recurrent sources of inspiration at the fair. Revolutionary? I think not. As you may tell, I'm not a huge enthusiast about state fair food. It doesn't exactly strike me, it doesn't exactly strike me as compelling. The new burger offered with Krispy Kreme donuts instead of buns really provoked my thoughts. Are we really the figures that Orson Welles referred to, just sacks of flesh that put food into our bellies? Don't get me wrong, I love burgers and donuts, but I'm just disgusted with how low the combination really is. From an evolutionary standpoint, we are whores for three basic nutrients that are rare in nature. Sugar, fat, and salt. This donut slash burger delivers all three in one package, which truly explains why our country is so obese. So please, pass the insulin. Now, back to my main point. Fall is all about squash. It's everywhere in the grocery store and in the farmer's market. I love this stuff, especially butternut squash. Once cooked down, it's sweet, savory, and creamy. I've got an awesome recipe lined up, and it's a great way to take advantage of this seasonal veg. I'm going to talk about risotto. Many people get a little intimidated since risotto is a rich and delicious rice dish from Italy, but it's surprisingly simple, and this is my fallback thing whenever I cook. So, cut up an onion and add it to a pot with some olive oil or butter, or even both. Peel a butternut squash, and then cut it into cubes about the size of your thumbnail. Add this to the pot and allow the squash and the onions to caramelize a little bit. That pretty much means to brown them. If, it, if the goods start to burn a little bit, just add a touch of water to the pot, or even better, some wine. At this point, I like to add some aromatic herbs, which is a fancy term for thyme, rosemary, or bay leaf. Let this stuff cook down a little bit more, and then add two cups of arborio rice. Arborio rice is a special type of rice from Italy. And it's a short grain, and it releases a lot of starch when it's cooked down. This rice makes the dish really rich and creamy. And shockingly, no dairy is used. It's commonly available in the grocery store these days. But if you can't find it, regular rice is cool, I guess. So, add the rice, and then add some chicken stock. Enough to cover the goods in the pot. Now, stir. This is very important. You want to stir and keep the heat at about medium-high. The stirring releases the starch in the rice, so when it cooks cooks down, it's nice and creamy. And once the rice has absorbed some of the liquid, keep on adding more stock until it's just right. If you don't have stock, if you don't have stock, you can use water. Do this until the rice is finished, and the pot should look like a big, viscous mess. It's not a bad idea to add some grated Parmesan or Pecorino just to make it a happy party. I love fall because of this dish. The squash literally melts down in the pot, and all of that is left is some delicious, orange baby food looking rice. But don't let the appearance get you scared. It tastes so good. As for beverages to pair with the risotto, I would go for Rogue Brewery's Dead Guy Ale, or for the winos out there, 
I would recommend the Shiraz done by Casiero del Diablo, which is pretty cheap, and you can find it in Food Food Lion, which is a really good sign if Food Lion is carrying a pretty decent wine. Just, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I got carried away. All right. Nevertheless, enjoy this dish with some hot cider, and always invite some friends to share the, de- the deliciousness. And thank you for listening, and bon appetit. Thanks so much, Mark. Mark, who was not paid or otherwise compensated for his opinion of the Krispy Kreme bacon cheeseburger or any establishment that he mentions, WKNC does not endorse any specific establishment we review and take no responsibility for what you do with the information therein or any medical emergencies that result from consuming a Krispy Kreme bacon cheeseburger or any other state fair food. And please always drink alcohol legally and responsibly. Now over to Chris for the gardening tip of the week. Thank you, John. And by the way, I worked as a carny for one day this summer on July 4th, and they will deep fry a jacket. Anyway, on today's Gardening Minute, we will be talking about natural pesticides. In the daily battle waged between the pest faction and the gardener faction, the gardener does not always have the upper hand. That's why pest control is so crucial to having a positive environment for your plants. As any gardener knows... Pests can pose negative risks to any healthy garden. These scourges of the garden steal resources, choke out plants, and can destroy the delicate leaf structures that you have so have worked so hard to cultivate. So what do you do about them? Let's start with the unwanted plants, or weeds, which can easily overthrow the most powerful garden regime. The simplest method for weed reduction is also the most work-intensive. The tried-and-true method of getting down on hands and knees to pull these little devils out by their roots can be sometimes less than fun. In response to the aversion to manual labor, some gardeners utilize barrier paper as a deterrent. Scraps of cardboard, wax paper, newspaper, or old shingles can all defend your plants from weeds and larvae. Cut a slit down the center of the material and fashion it around your plant's base. By keeping sunlight away from the base of your plants, these barriers easily prevent weeds from ever growing, which makes your weeding job easier. However, weeds are not the only threat to your crops. Pests such as insects, rabbit, and deer can also destroy plants at a rapid pace. To take care of Bambi, reach for a strongly scented bar of soap at your local grocery. For some reason, deer strongly dislike the smell of soap. Placing a bar of soap in a mesh bag and suspending it from a nearby stake or fence post will deter a deer from eating your plants. Also, if you can get some hand on if you get your hands on some coyote urine and sprinkle it around the perimeter of your garden, deer will be a thing of the past. However, for bugs you will have to get a little more extreme. The smothering technique is one of the most effective methods. By blending one half a cup of liquid or grated soap with one cup of vegetable oil, you can say goodbye to all sorts of harmful insects in your garden. Blend or stir the mixture until you get a milky color with a thick consistency. To use the concoction, mix one tablespoon of this mixture with one liter of warm water. By spraying the whole plant thoroughly, top leaves and bottom of leaves, insects will be unable to walk and breathe effectively. For best results, spray in early morning or the late evening and reapply after rainstorms. To make sure the, your solution will coat evenly, shake frequently during use. Like all pesticides, natural pesticides can be beneficial to insects as well as harmful ones. To keep the good bugs in and the bad bugs out, only spray infected plants. Natural pesticides can be a great way to keep your pest levels down without compromising the organic status of your garden. 
It also makes Mother Earth happy because you're not dumping dangerous chemicals into her soil. So, next time you're cursing these evil little critters who have moved in on your delicate manicured territory, protect what's yours with a little soap and oil. You're not only saving your garden, you're saving the Earth, too. For today's Gardening Minute, I'm Chris Chaffee. You know, I was just thinking just a second ago, Chris, maybe we could deep fry the little bugs, too, and knock out two birds with one stone. I think you can actually get a, uh, a bug in a lollipop already. So you can just deep fry the whole thing. It's like a Twinkie. That's incredible. Well, thank you all you out there for listening and participating in tonight's program. Join us next week. Technician editor Amanda Wilkins spoke to Chancellor Woodson today. We'll play the interview, plus some exciting new features. Find out about what they are by staying in touch with our program through Facebook and Twitter, etc. Because we like hearing from you. If you have any questions, comments, story ideas, complaints, or issues in your community that you want us to take a look at, keep in touch here. Twitter, WKNC EOT or WKNC881. Facebook, Eye on the Triangle. And our voicemail feedback line is 919-628-0869. And remember that you can subscribe to the podcast of this program through iTunes. Search for EOT. Thanks to our guests tonight, Michael Beasley, Stephanie Watson, and Josh Stein, all running for the 16th District of the North Carolina Senate. We're very grateful for their participation. And if you are able to vote, please get out and do so on November 2nd or beforehand. We'll have more information about that in the next two editions of this program. For my producer, Chris Chaffee, correspondents Jacob Downey, Mason Morris, and Tom Anderson, sportscasters Tyler Everett and Taylor Barber, weathercaster Kyle, Master Chef Mark Herring, and Evan Garris, who was unable to join us this evening because he's kidnapping mutated animals from a tent at the State Fair. I'm your host and public affairs director, John Boyer. Have a great night and join us next time for more Eye on the Triangle. Please stay tuned for After Hours.